I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley. Coming up, PMQs on Pat and our columnist panel. But if you like the sound of what we discuss on the podcast and you want to read more, you can get the news, the views, the analysis, the investigations, the exclusives, the interviews and the business. You can get more of the Times and the Sunday Times for less with 50, 50% off a digital subscription for six months. There's a sale on now, but it ends on June the 29th. You can subscribe today. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash times red box. Right, coming up on today's episode, it's PMQ's Unpacked. We pause the action live from the House of Commons to try and analyse in real time what is going on between Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer, who's not had a brilliant week, it's safe to say. Uh, he's sacked almost everyone, so we'll find out. Was there anyone left to help him write his questions for PMQ's? That's coming up. But first, it's Wednesday, so it must be Crampon. It's Robert Crampton and Alice Thompson. Now, Alice, you've written a column uh, in the Times today where you've sort of cleverly combined two stories of the week, saying that Dido Harding is like the replacement for the Royal Yacht. Uh, Explain yourself. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's not exactly, of course, but um, the the issue here is really that Boris Johnson wants two populist measures that will do what they're told that he thinks will be rabble-rousing that will be part of a future Britain and um, will be the right way forward. And I'm saying that both of them are the wrong way forward. So the royal yacht, uh, not even the royal family wants, most of the Tory party don't want, and uh, very few of us will be able to go on. And it's it's really, um, I think it's sort of one of, oddly, it's one of the few things that Boris desperately wants personally, because he's always been very invested in it and he likes big machinery. Um, Dido Harding slightly different, but she wants to be head of the NHS um, as their new chief executive after Sir Simon Stevens. And in a similar way, Boris Johnson seems to very much want her because um, he thinks that she will do what she's told, that um, she will be um, a useful addition for him and that she's very much on side. And um, she will also be populist because one of the things that she wants to do is to make sure that we have more British doctors and fewer foreign uh, NHS staff. Um, and I think she will be equally damaging. And the article really is mainly about Dido Harding rather than about the Royal Yacht, although I think uh, what I say probably applies to both. And is it a little bit of the symbolism over substance, possibly, that we occasionally see from the government? 
Yes, I think the, the problem with both of them is that it, they're both sort of Boris Johnson's pet projects. They're not really thought through, I don't think. And I don't think either of them are going to work. Um, it is extraordinary that we're going to have another royal yacht that the royal family don't actually want. I mean, that seems completely bizarre. Um, and uh, the idea that we end up with um, that sort of symbolism in this country, it's almost like the song that we're all going to have to sing, um, that uh, you don't... You, we don't need it. And Dido's is slightly similar. There's that why we're having her. We're having her because he thinks it's a great idea and, and you know, she'll jolly everyone along. But actually, um, she's going to be very damaging, I think, in the end for the NHS. And she doesn't actually know what she's doing. Uh, what do you make of this, uh, Robert? Are you a fan of the idea of being about the, the, the not royal yacht that um, large parts of Whitehall are currently trying to avoid paying for? Uh, no, and I always wonder why it was called a yacht when it actually is more, it looks more like a kind of ocean-going liner. Uh, I thought yachts were smaller things with sails. Uh, no, I think it's ridiculous. I know the Queen was upset when they uh, when they first, when they got rid of it, but I think she's probably uh, got over that. And uh, <laughs> nobody else. I mean, they just it was barely used before. They I think they used it to cruise around the Western Isles uh, for a couple of weeks every summer, and it wasn't at all obvious what else it did. As for Dido Harding, it's a great. Take down from Alice. I've, I've heard she she really likes you too, Alice. Uh, <laughs> she's uh, she seems to be one of those these, these those people. I mean, that, that every organisation has who kind of fails upwards. Uh, there's no obvious qualification for the job, and the, the closest thing she's come to it was running Test and Trace, thirty-seven billion pound budget over two years, and a, a signal failure. Uh, her main qualification seems to be that she's mates with Matt Hancock because they both like horses. Uh, it's not really kind of good enough to run the what is I don't know. It's the, well, it's the biggest employer in England, isn't it? The NHS and in uh, Europe as well. And in Europe, yeah. So you need, uh, I think, you need somebody who is uh, better qualified, say the least. It's interesting because obviously it's to replace uh, Sir Simon Stevens, who's stepping down, and he's been basically he's faced criticism from some quarters in in Whitehall for being a bit too political for... I mean, he sort of was barely seen publicly in the dark days of the pandemic. And yeah. then suddenly when the when the vaccination was going better, the vaccination programme was going yeah. better, suddenly he started popping up and saying it was all thanks to the NHS. And there's quite a lot. I mean, I occasionally, when I've um, uh, had reason to pass comment on this, uh, his spin doctors have got in touch very enthusiastically, pointing out that all the good stuff is down to the NHS and all the bad stuff is definitely down to Matt Hancock. Um, and so may, maybe the thinking is that if you have somebody who is your mate there, uh, they won't try running the NHS as a sort of independent nation. Alice? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh, well, actually, he's more like a submarine, isn't he, really? Because he sort of appears, as I'm assuming, just at the right time. Um, um, and he is, though, a complete expert. And he, um, I mean, he is extraordinary because he's run a lot of trusts anyway. He knows what he's doing. What he did most brilliantly was to protect the NHS, which was genius, really, because that whole phrase wasn't really used by any other country, but um, managed to pull everyone together and to talk about how you needed to help doctors and nurses. And that that in itself, I think, was pretty impressive. Yes. And the, as, for, as for her comments on foreign doctors, I mean, that's just that's just reprehensible, as, as, as Alice makes clear in her column. We've all got good reason to be very grateful for uh, doctors. And, you, and if it's your uh, yourself or, more importantly, your children who are in need of help. You really don't care where somebody was born. 
And also, it's it's slightly one of those things. Her running on a on a obviously we'd never find in politics, but somebody running on a manifesto promising to do something which is not within their remit. Because the reason that we rely on uh, so many foreign doctors is we don't train enough here, and that's right. that's you know a government decision in terms of how many places they will fund. Um, and so her saying that she doesn't want to, you know, unless she's going to have fewer doctors, um, uh, I'm not really sure what the how how she proposes to do do very much about it. Well, it's very difficult because it takes 14 years to train a surgeon and you know, just to be a GP is going to take you 10 years. It's incredibly expensive to do. But actually, it's also quite good to have these international teams. So I wrote about, you know, when my son had meningococcal disease, he had four or five different countries working on him. And, mm. and in a way, I thought that was brilliant that you get these experts from the NHS all around the NHS working together. But they are international. And a lot of our doctors go abroad. I mean, quite a lot of them go to Australia and and it's a good thing that we're, we're trading. And, and I, I can see where Dido Harding, if she did say this, it, that where she's coming from is that actually we, we shouldn't be taking doctors from developing countries and, you know, using them and using, asking them to be trained up by their own countries and then taking them. But on the other hand, actually what's happening is it's more people are moving around the world. And that's probably the best way of, of sharing best practices and... You know, we do need to have more doctors, but we are training more doctors as well at the same time and nurses. And 14% of our staff weren't brought, you know, born in Britain. Now, that, that is a high percentage if you want to get rid of them. Yes, and yeah, I mean, it's not totally clear that she she necessarily has a plan to uh, to replace all of that. Let's move on to so having having demolished the idea of Dido Harding and the Royal Yacht. Let's move on to our colleague Danny Finkelstein has written a, it's a pretty devastating uh, column under the headline: "There is no point to the Liberal Democrats." Uh, their party was at a dead end before the by election. It was a dead end uh, uh, the day after it too. He says, um, uh, uh, here are the Liberal Democrats, here are the problems of the Liberal Democrats. They don't stand for anything, they don't stand for anybody, they can't win, and even if they could, it would be utterly pointless. In order to be successful, a political party has to represent either distinct ideology or significant demographic group. The Liberal Democrats have neither. Anyone want to mount the, def- the case of the defence uh, of the Liberal Democrats? Robert? Not particularly, no. I mean, I suppose... Uh... I mean, what? I mean, Danny's saying that the Liberals, you know, he mentions the Orpington by-election, nineteen sixty-two, and how that didn't really change anything. I think he said the Liberals had six seats in nineteen sixty and six seats in nineteen seventy. Uh, and insofar as uh, he's talking about that, then he's obviously he's right. I mean, the, the Liberals benefited from uh, fairly shameful tactics uh, in opposing HS two in a seat that doesn't like it when nationally they actually support it. Uh, so it's not a new beginning for them. I mean, effectively, what he seems to be arguing for is a is a merger of the uh, liberal and you know the progressive uh, progressive alliance between the liberal and Labour parties, which uh, I've I myself have long been in favour of. Uh, Tony Blair was thinking about this in the nineties, wasn't he? And then he landed his hundred and eighty seat majority and promptly forgot about it. But insofar as you can't really put much between a sensible Labour uh, activist member, if there are any left, and uh, a sensible liberal democrat then i think it's a perfectly reasonable idea and the the sophology of the english electoral system particularly once scotland might have departed uh, which we'll talk about in a minute uh requires it unless we're going to have a, a, a permanent conservative government so in, in in as much as danny's arguing for that then i agree with him um Alice, it's one of those things though isn't it in politics it, uh People, parties don't matter until they do. We've seen how, you know, 
uh, you know, the ties that bind people to particular parties have been weakened right across the board. Just, you know, if the, if, if the Labour Party can lose its grip on Scotland and then the north of England, it's possible the Conservatives could lose their grip in uh, southern England, in rural areas, and maybe the Lib Dems are the best place to to exploit that. Yeah, I find it extraordinary. It's one of the most bizarre things in politics that the, the middle parties don't do better that that you always think whenever they you get these new parties that they are exactly what you need and what you want and that you need a sort of balance in the middle and it never really happens unless you have the the um liberal democrats coming together with the tories under david cameron and even then that you can say that wasn't successful what what to me is extraordinary is actually is that i think the greens may do better now i think you look at it and you look at uh, david cameron is not you know he didn't manage to get, which was the sort of educated, um, I mean, the sort of graduates that don't like Boris Johnson, who who are not voting for him, but are nervous about voting Labour. Those are the voters that you want to see which way they're going. And some of them do. The younger ones do seem to be going for the Greens. And it's, it's unfair to say they're educated because actually everyone's educated in different ways. But they seem to be the ones that, that have, are more woke, have gone to university, have uh, got... Um, that sort of background and they're the ones that people want to capture and I can't understand quite why the Lib Dems can't do that but it doesn't look as if they have even in this by-election. It was interesting because I chatted I was over in Westminster uh, a couple of days ago and chatting to Tory MPs and Tory ministers they're they're moaning about the Lib Dems oh it's them again they're saying one thing in one place and one thing somewhere else to try and win Mm. as if like it's so annoying they've remembered how to win Uh, that's quite annoying (laughs) Um, uh, but also uh, sort of reflecting back on you know, when I, you know, growing up in the Southwest, uh, and you know, when I used to cover uh, Devon and Cornwall Western Morning News, the Lib Dems do better when there are two things over which they have no control. Uh, people want to get the Tories out, and if the Lib Dems are in second place, that's the only option. And it, so far, at least, the polls suggest that that's not where uh, overwhelmingly the public mood is yet. Uh, and the second thing is that the, the, the Labour Party is a sort of satisfactory alter, that the country is, is happy with the idea of uh, the Labour Party, because ultimately, if you vote for the Lib Dems, uh, it, it's it's you're you're getting the Tories out, and you're probably putting Labour in. And so the the question is, uh, you, you know, the, the Labour Party, the Lib Dems can't do well unless the Labour Party is doing well, which is why they did so well in 1997 in particular, uh, and in yeah. subsequent years, because ultimately the country was quite relaxed about a Labour Party uh, being in uh, power. And you know, in large parts of the country, the Labour Party don't exist, so you end up voting Lib Dem. And so, to some extent, how well they do is is beyond their control. Silence. I've stunned you into silence <laughs> with my tedious chuckle uh, through the history of the Lib Dems in the Southwest. I was just, I was just <laughs> punching my way through your analysis, Matt. Uh, I guess you're right. I mean, I guess also they do well when Labour does well because there's a general mood of, uh, of sort of slightly centre, left of centre optimism in the country, which uh, backs up my point that they really it should be one party. Uh, and there's and uh, which is the case that Danny was making. Yeah. And, I mean, I would welcome that because I, I guess that would that would naturally pull Labour more towards the centre. Uh, it would be a counterbalance to the uh, the uh, uh, immoderate people uh, who currently uh, dominate in local Labour parties, uh, and it would encourage perhaps people in places like Chesham and Amersham, that it was actually OK to vote Labour, which only one and a half percent of them did the other week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and that's that's... Extra- and the extraordinary thing about that by-election was not so much the Liberal Democrats, it was, it was, it was the fact that Labour got 
I mean, the vote was counted in hundreds, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was 600 or something. I think there were fewer, yeah. fewer, there was some suggestion there were fewer people voted Labour than uh, there are Labour members in that seat. Uh, <laughs> so not everyone uh, <laughs> not everyone necessarily voted for it. Well, we spent so long talking about the Lib Dems, we've run out of time, I'm afraid. Um, they'll, oh, be, yeah. they'll, they'll be thrilled. Talk about the Scots. Uh, we haven't got time to talk about Scott. I imagine we'll come back to Scotland on another day. Robert Crampton and Alice Thompson there and you can read them both in the Times every week and don't forget that flash sale on right now 50% off a digital subscription for six months but the sale ends on June the 29th go to the times.co.uk forward slash times red box up next is PMQ's Unpacked Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. This is the Red Box Podcast. Now it's time for this. PMQ's Unpacked on Times Radio. Unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire. Order, order. I call Matt Chorley and Tim Shipman. So here we go again then, PMQ's Unpacked, where we pause the action live from the House of Commons to try and explain what is going on between Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer. Keir Starmer not had a great week since last we met, Tim Shipman. Uh, well, he has slightly fewer support staff, as you said. He's lost uh, both of his uh, communications experts, his uh, political director and um, his chief of staff has moved. They were told he's still very important and very much still there. Um, but um, those people looking at a by-election a week on Thursday and thinking Keir Starmer might need a reset, a relaunch after that, are slightly wondering why he's doing all this now. And it's sort of there's not a huge amount of logic to it, and you do wonder. You're right. If if he has a bad result on uh, in the battling spend by-election next week, does he have to find some more people to sack? Uh, well, potentially, or he needs to do some kind of reshuffle, or he need well, he just tried one of those, and it wasn't uh, an abundant <laughs> success uh, uh, in the Westminster Village. I think it's fair to say, um, but you know, the public out there probably don't uh, care for a couple of years uh, who's on his front bench, and they certainly don't care who's in his back office. They care whether he turns up uh, and does a decent job on a Wednesday, um, and whether he's got anything interesting to say about the issues they care about, um, and that will become 
clear as we move on. A week ago, uh, at exactly this time, we were talking about the uh, the text message released by Dominic Cummings in which Boris Johnson called Matt Hancock totally effing useless. Hopeless. Hopeless, Hopeless. yeah. Accuracy is, well, yeah, is important. Um, Keir Starmer didn't raise it at any point. It became a sort of big talking point uh, as to whether or not this is proof of Keir Starmer, uh, you know, being unable to think on his feet. Depending on who you spoke to in the Labour Party, it was either deliberate because they didn't want to do Dominic Cummings' dirty work for him. Uh, it was deliberate because they wanted to con- concentrate on the more important matters of borders, or uh, nobody could be expected to have done it because it only came uh, only a few minutes before PMQ started. What does, he need, what does Keir Starmer need to do this week to sort of reassure people who are in the Labour Party, Labour MPs, who you know, will tell you and I privately they're, they're a bit worried? Well, he needs to look like he's got building an argument through six questions and he needs to make Boris Johnson uncomfortable. Take the mickey out of him. Um, pick on a, a, a subject that people care about and and hit hard. I think there's a general feeling that um, uh, Starmer is uh, someone who doesn't go quite as crunchingly hard into the tackle as some of the things we've been witnessing on our screens uh, in Euro 2020. So let's play a game of what could Keir Starmer ask about? Well, I rather wonder whether he might bring up your own uh, morning obsession. Um, you know, the government seems to be bending over backwards to help UEFA uh, bring people in. Uh, Starmer has had uh, problems uh, with border controls over COVID, um, and it's quite a populist thing to go after, saying, well, why can't my kid have a sports day, but um, a bunch of U- UEFA suits are allowed to waltz in uh, for the football? Um uh, you've got, you know, the potential for holidays opening up. There's announcements due on that um, later this week and early next week. Um, uh, I wonder whether he might pick a little bit at the scab that um, the Sunday Times identified at the weekend. There seem to be divisions between the Prime Minister and the Chancellor of the Exchequer over spending and uh, tax and how that's all going to pan out uh, during the autumn. That might be um, something Starmer might want to have a go at as well. But in a sense, it doesn't matter too much what it is, as long as he makes as a decent fist of it. it. Yeah. And actually, it's what all of those things could potentially, you know, in terms of you know having an impact and all that. People say, "Oh, no normal person watches PMQs." This is an opportunity to get yourself in the news. I do wonder. Well, that was the problem maybe, last week. Maybe you should the, the, hire you and I. Sports days. Go on sports days. It's what everyone's talking about. I think like, I, that would be the most populist uh, way to do it, which my, may be why he doesn't. <laughs> my Twitter's absolutely lit up. People are going completely... Uh, my WhatsApp groups are absolutely buzzing with sports Wild days. about it. A sports Some days. of them, even quoting yourself, Matthew. Are they? Your tweets have appeared in my WhatsApp groups multiple <laughs> times this morning. Good Lord. Uh, <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, there's just so many, so many. Could you imagine the outcry? I think it would reach the final. But there was some people defending it and saying that you know they were right to let the UEFA in. Uh, someone saying well, if they might well be right to let them in, but can we have school sports days as well? Yeah, I mean, get your, your, inc- your daughter's school needs to join a member. Needs to join UEFA. Uh, you just need to um, invite some VIPs, and it'll be able to go ahead. Uh, we couldn't attend our daughter's first ever sports day recently. Um, but what Starmer needs is for people to be talking about the issue he's talking about, not talking about whether or not he should have raised a different issue. And, and yeah. you know, all those three different interpretations you laid out, they're all about the process and whether or not he should have done something else. They yeah. weren't about what he wanted to talk about. And for that reason, it was a big mistake last week. And he's got two choices as leader of opposition. You either try to start a new conversation, which is quite difficult, or identify a conversation which is going on and stick yourself at the top of it. And then you probably stick yourself at the top of the... Uh, as the news bulletins too. Absolutely. That's what that's what the game is. Right, well, there we are. Uh, Boris Johnson at the dispatch box. Um, his hair is looking, I'd say, sort of medium. Medium haystack, Boris Johnson's hair. He's looking reasonably smart, that shirt and tie. Uh, right, we can go live to the House of Commons then. Question number one, Keir Starmer, is he going to be taking our advice? Let's find out. Keir Starmer. Yeah.
Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Why, under this government, has the number of rape convictions and prosecutions fallen to a record low? Prime Minister. Mr. Speaker, one of the first things I said when I came to this dispatch box as Prime Minister uh, was that I thought that rape prosecutions and convictions uh, were too low, and that's why we have the end-to-end rape review, and that's why we've been investing in, uh, in independent sexual violence advisors and independent domestic violence advisors, another 27 million. Uh, that's why we've been investing more in the Crime Prosecution Service, another 85 million people. We're also dealing with the misery experienced by uh, rape uh, victims and survivors who have to hand over their mobile phones, Mr. Speaker, which I think has been one of the evidential problems that has arisen in prosecuting, uh, in prosecuting rape cases. But what we've also been doing, Mr. Speaker, is imposing tougher sentences for serious sexual and violent offences. And it would have been good to have some support in that from the right honourable gentleman and the, be- and the benches opposite. Right. Well, it turns out, once again, uh, Keir Starmer's not listening to us. No, but what he's done there is um, he's in a tricky spot and he's gone very much to his home turf, just like England wanting to play at Wembley. He is a former chief prosecutor and he's gone with prosecution as his, as his subject. He knows it inside out. He doesn't need a backroom team to prep him on this one. Um, uh, I'm sure Starmer put all this together himself. Um, and... What he wants is a solid outing on something he knows about, and and that's how that's why he's chosen this one. And it's obviously a very important issue, and it's something. Though it's interestingly something that, that the government themselves did something about, you know, a week or so ago. Yeah, it was the end of it was it Thursday, Thursday night into Friday. The, um, the Justice Secretary Robert Buckland apologised to victims, uh, rape victims, and promised to do a lot better. He said ministers felt uh, so they feel deeply ashamed of low conviction rates for rape cases in England and Wales, uh, admitted there were budget cuts, uh, were partly to blame uh, for convictions falling to a record low in recent years. That was an interview with the BBC last week. Uh, Earlier on uh, this week, uh, David Lowey, the Shadow Justice Secretary, Robert Buckland's opposite number, said the the apology was rendered meaningless uh, following the release of the end-to-end rape review. Uh, after he described, the Justice Secretary described the target would increase prosecutions to 2016 levels as constitutionally illiterate. So we um, let's go back and see where uh, Keir Starmer takes this next. Keir Starmer, Mr. Speaker, we all agree that the figures are appalling. The question is why. The government's own review makes clear that rape convictions and prosecutions have halved since 2016. Halved. We know that's nothing to do with the pandemic because this is a five-year trend. We know it isn't because there are fewer rape cases being reported because that number's gone up significantly. So let me return to the question that the Prime Minister hasn't answered. Why does the Prime Minister think that rape prosecutions and convictions have plummeted on his watch? Prime Minister? Because, uh, Mr Speaker, as he knows very well, because he has some experience of this matter, there are considerable evidential problems, uh, particularly in, re- in recovering data from mobile phones, and that has been an obstacle uh, to, the, to the speedy preparation of cases. And too often, let's be frank... Too often cases go from the police uh, to the Crime Prosecution Service not in a fit state, and too often those cases are not in a fit state when they come to court. And, and there is not a good enough join-up, Mr Speaker, across the criminal justice system. And, we are, and, and that, is exactly, that is exactly what we are addressing, Mr Speaker, now, by our investments uh, with our end-to-end rate review. And what would, and what would be good, to, Mr Speaker, is if we could have some support uh, from the opposition for tougher for tougher sentences 
for rapists and serious sexual offenders. What kind of a signal does it send when they won't even back tougher sentences, Mr Speaker? Yes? Uh, well, it's the same, the same question, the same answer. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, Johnson, as ever, is throwing it back at Starmer and saying, you know, why didn't you back our bill? Um, the point Starmer's making is not so much about the sentencing but about um, how you progress cases through and, and get convictions. Um, but, uh, as I say, the government have already acknowledged there's a problem. Um, and Starmer's doing this thing that he often does, where he sort of says, why did this happen? As if he wants a sort of mea culpa um, that he's well, never going to get from Boris Johnson. Exactly. So it feels like what he's trying to do is get Boris Johnson to repeat what Robert Buckland said on the telly last week, which was the, uh, um, this report into rape revealed that at all stages of the criminal justice process, frankly, a failure to deal with complaints made by many thousands of victims. The first thing I need to say is, sorry, it's not good enough. Uh, Priti Patel, the Home Secretary, uh, Robert Buckland and Michael Ellis, the Attorney General, wrote a forward uh, to the review saying the vast majority of victims did not see the crime against them charged and reach a court. One or two victims withdraw from rape investigations. These are trends of which we are deeply ashamed, they wrote. So clearly, Keir Starmer is trying to get uh, Boris Johnson to repeat that on the record in the way that several senior ministers did last week. Yeah, well, um, Boris, he, he ought to know Boris Johnson well enough to know that he's unlikely to use the phrase I'm deeply ashamed in the Chamber of the House of Commons. Well, let's go back. Let's see if it'll be interesting to see if Keir Starmer's planning because he, you know, it can often be quite effective to pick several different topics or if he's going to use all six. Well, on he this. could pivot to money as well. There's a big crisis in the courts. There's a huge backlog of cases. You could you could move on to that and, and the and lack the of fact funding. That ministers are on the record of saying that a lack of funding is a part to blame. Let's go back to this comments. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister knows very well why we voted against his bill, precisely because it did more to protect statues than women. Yeah. But, 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 but since, he's, since he's brought it up, Mr Speaker, let's address the central question. Prime Minister, 98.4% of reported rapes don't end up in a charge. 98.4%. And therefore the question of sentence never arises in those cases. So since he's brought up the bill, it's his main defence it seems, can he tell me, point to what provision in the bill, what clause, what chapter, what part of that bill will do anything to change the fact that 98.4% of reported rape cases don't end in charges and don't get to sentence? Which clause, part, chapter or words in that bill? Point to one thing. Mr Speaker, well, let me point to section uh, 106 and 107 uh, of that bill. Uh, which, which Labour voted down, Mr Speaker, which would have, which would have stopped uh, the early release of rapists at their halfway point in their sense. What kind of a signal, what kind of a message does that send, Mr Speaker, uh, to people who commit uh, the crimes of rape? It is very, very important that the message should go out from this House of Commons that we will not tolerate a serious sexual violence. And I'm afraid that the Right Honourable Gentleman has not been supporting that message. What we are, do what we are doing now... What we're doing now is bringing forward measures by investing in independent domestic violence, independent sexual violence advisors uh, to ensure that victims and survivors of the crime of rape have people in whom they can confide and trust throughout that miserable period when they're in the, when they're in the criminal justice system. And another thing we're doing, Mr Speaker, is recruiting record numbers of police officers. And I'm proud to say... And I'm proud to say... I'm proud to say 
that 40 per cent of our new recruits are female, Mr Speaker, which I believe will be a great, a great consolation and use to those who are victims and survivors of rape. Starmer. Well, I mean, the most surprising thing about that is that Keir Starmer asked, for a, very specific, asked a very specific question, point to a single part of your bill which uh, helps victims, and Boris Johnson did. Yes, he, he knew the section numbers. Um, I don't think he quite answered the bit that Starmer was asking, but he was able to throw back in his face um, that you didn't vote for this bit um, uh, relating to uh, uh, early release of convicted rapists. I mean, again, they're still talking across each other. Starmer's talking about how you get people into jail. Um, Johnson's talking about what you do with people once they're in jail and how long you keep them there. But, um, uh, you know, it's... Uh, it's an important subject, but it's not gaining us a great deal of ground politically, I don't think. Yeah, and part, partly because it, it was, it was, you know, done quite, it covered quite extensively latter part of last week and into the weekend. Um, and so uh, maybe... It's unlikely to be picked up as a, as a, as a news story because, um, you know, this was big news, you know, five, six days ago. Uh, yeah, exactly right. And given clearly that Boris Johnson is not going to... Um... Uh, Boris Johnson is not about to um, do the play the game that Keir Starmer is uh, is asking him to play. Well, let's go back to the let's go back to the comments. What an appalling answer! Yeah. I asked him why ninety eight point four percent of cases aren't getting into the system, and he talks about a sentence. Yeah. But you, that, that is the problem. If the prime minister thinks that's the answer. That is why we've got these terrible rates of conviction and of prosecution. The answer is there's nothing in that bill. The truth is, victims of rape are being failed. Now, Mr Speaker, they're not just my words. They're in the government's own report. Victims of rape are being failed. There's no escaping that appalling figure, Prime Minister. 98.4% of rape cases ending without anybody being charged. And those that do get in the system take years to go through. Does the Prime Minister accept that cuts to the criminal justice system have contributed to that appalling situation? Prime Minister. No, Mr Speaker, because we've increased the, the numbers of people in the, uh, in the CPS by at least 200, Mr Speaker, uh, specifically dedicated to uh, helping to prosecute re- the crime of rape and sexual violence. And, and Mr Speaker, we are absolutely determined uh, to stamp it out. This is a problem that has been going worse because of the evidential difficulties caused by uh, the, the data recovery process and the lack of the lack of unity, the lack of joined-up thinking between all parts of the criminal justice system. That is something that this government is now addressing by more investment, by putting more police out on the street, and also by having tougher sentences. And finally, it would be good to hear him support it. Keir Starmer. I'm not sure. Well, you're, you're huffing and puffing, but so was Keir Starmer, you know, at the start of that um, answer, you know, condemning Johnson for an appalling answer and then literally spluttering with frustration. And this is often what we get with um, uh, a situation where Johnson uh, happily, merrily blusters through um, and, and Starmer gets frustrated that he's not answering the specific question. Um, it's his job to pin him down. Interesting in the answer, Johnson did manage to come up with a number there for the number of extra CPS staff in uh, 200, which one suspects is more correct than the answer he gave in response to the first question where he claimed that 85 million more people had gone to work for the, the CPS, which is more than the entire population of <laughs> the United a... Kingdom. One presumes it was £85 million to pay for 200 people. Um, I do wonder if the reason that uh, Boris Johnson seems to be so uh, prepared for this 
there's quite a lot of detail in it. You know, he seems to be across it all. Is partly because the Labour Party has been uh, banging away at this for all the last week. Um, David Lammy in particular, you know, David Lammy was tweeting about an hour ago. Keir Starmer retweeted it. So, that, so it was clearly they were putting up in lights as something he was likely to go on. Do you think this, because this is clearly an issue that resonates particularly with Labour MPs, the line about there's more protection for statues than women got a big cheer in the House of Commons. Is this, is this actually about shoring up his position in the party a bit more rather than even worrying about whether or not... I mean, he's not going to get onto the news with this, is he? Uh, no, and I think um, we've seen this in recent weeks on a, a number of occasions. He, he, he had a question either last week or the week before about um, Palestine, which um, was very much one for the home team, as it were, um, and there's an element about uh, of that about this, I suspect. OK, let's go back to the comments. Keir Starmer again. Mr Speaker, I spent five years as Director of Public Prosecution prosecuting thousands of rape cases. I don't need lectures, but I do know the impact of cuts on our criminal in our criminal justice service. The Government can't make cuts, significant cuts, to the Crown Prosecution Service, 25% cuts to the Ministry of Justice, close half the courts in England and Wales, yes, half the courts, and now pretend that a small budget increase will solve the problem. But, Mr Speaker, this is more than just about cuts. The rape review is welcome, but it's weak. The Victims Commissioner, the Government's Victims Commissioner, described the review as underwhelming. Oh, it could have been ten times stronger. That review is littered with pilots and consultations on proposals that have literally been discussed for years and years. It is so unambitious. Mr Speaker, isn't it the case that despite these shameful figures, and they are shameful, the government still isn't showing the urgency needed to tackle the epidemic of violence against women and girls? Minister. Uh, no, Mr Speaker, because we've also brought in the landmark domestic uh, violence bill, which, uh, uh, again, uh, it would have been good if we'd had uh, wholehearted support from the, the Labour Party opposite. Uh, and, and, Mr Speaker, no, because uh, this government has brought in uh, much tougher sentences for serious sexual and violent offenders. And he, he can't, no matter how much he wriggles and squirms, Mr Speaker, he can't get away from the, the simple fact that on a three-line whip, he got his party to vote against tougher sentences for serious sexual and violent offenders. That, Mr Speaker, is weak. Well, Boris Johnson getting quite fired up there. I mean, he, Boris Johnson clearly thinks that his piece of legislation is very good. They are, you're right, there's essentially two conversations happening in parallel. Keir Starmer's talking about how do we get more cases, allegations of rape and sexual assault, into the system. And Boris Johnson's talking about tougher sentences at the end of the, of the process. Yeah, um, I mean, Boris Johnson has answered that, that uh, you know, to a degree. Everyone knows that everyone's mobile phone is now stuffed with information and um, sometimes there's evidence of rape, um, uh, you know, in people's messages and sometimes there's evidence that they had a pre-existing relationship um, and that has grossly complicated uh, the whole situation. Um, but, yeah, Boris Johnson getting quite fired up there. Interestingly, the sort of protection of women and girls was a big thing when he was Foreign Secretary. He did quite a lot of that on the international stage, one of the themes of uh, the summit, the G7 summit in Cornwall that he chaired a couple of weeks ago was about um, helping uh, women and girls in the third world. Um, it's obviously a subject that um, his new wife, Carrie, is very interested in. Um, this is something on which Boris Johnson sort of feels that um, it's something he's been doing something about. Um, it, maybe not specifically on what Starmer is, is asking him about, but, um, uh, you know, the two of them exchanging claims of weakness... Um, it's getting quite punchy, but um, 
as you say, it's unlikely to cut through to uh, the news bulletins. Uh, well, let's find out if uh, either one of them can uh, raise the tempo or the news, the news uh, content in the final exchange. <laughs> you can always tell when he's losing, Mr. Speaker. <laughs> on, on, oh, oh, oh. I want both sides. It's a very, very emotive and important issue. I need to hear the question and the answers. I certainly don't expect shouting from the back benches. Yes. Lindsay Hall's looking Speaker, at the Tory back benches Rape prosecution convictions are at a record low. Court backlogs are at a record high. Victims are waiting longer for justice, and criminals are getting away with it. This wasn't inevitable. It's the cost of a decade of Conservative cuts. And even now, even now, the government isn't showing the urgency and the ambition that's needed. Mr Speaker, the Justice Secretary has done the rarest of things for this government and apologised. But I note the Prime Minister hasn't done that today. It's time he did, that he took some responsibility and backed it up with, it, with action. Will he do so? Prime Minister. Speaker, the first, as, I, as I said to the Right Honourable Gentleman, and I, and I fought uh, to have... Uh, tougher uh, action against rapists and sexual offenders throughout my time as, as Mayor of London, and of course to all the victims of, of, of rape and sexual violence, all the victims and uh, survivors, of course uh, I say sorry for the, the trauma that they have been through, the frustration uh, that they go through because of the inadequacies of the criminal justice system. We are fixing that. Uh, we're fixing that with investing, by investing another billion pounds in clearing the court backlogs, in ensuring that they have a, a people that they can listen to and trust who will help them uh, through the trials of the, uh, of the criminal justice experience, Mr Speaker. But above all, uh, we are helping them by getting our courts moving again. The fastest, most efficient way to do that, as he knows, is to get our country moving again, which is what we are doing with the fastest vaccination rollout anywhere in Europe, uh, Mr Speaker. Uh, we are getting on with the job, Mr Speaker. They jabber, we jab, Mr Speaker. They, they dither, uh, we deliver. They vacillate and we vaccinate, Mr Speaker. Just, what, just writing all of that down. Jab, 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 dither, deliver, vacillate, vaccinate. There we are. A new, a new one for the uh, for the history books there. Although, I mean, another another worth thing for the history books. Uh, Keir Starmer did actually elicit an apology from. Well, Boris I take Johnson. it all back. Um, <laughs> in the end, um, he put Boris Johnson in a very difficult position, and Boris Johnson felt he had to say sorry, um, and that may get on the news actually. Um, and it was a pretty stealthy arrival at that point. I mean, I think Starmer reminds me a little bit of uh, Gareth Southgate's England. There's, um, there was a stat out by those. Uh, uh, Opta people who look at uh, how things are playing and said England advanced the ball at 0.7 metres per second, which is the slowest of any team <laughs> in the tournament. And there is something of Keir Starmer's uh, PMQ's uh, question construction about that. But in the end, um, he did nick a goal. Um, he managed to get Boris Johnson to say, of course, I'm sorry uh, for, uh, for, for about the frustrations and the inadequacies. He said he was sorry to victims of... Uh, uh, um, of rape and other sexual offences and the frustrations of the inadequacies of the criminal justice system. So you're right, we were wrong. Uh, yeah, I mean, that was a decent outing in the end for Starmer. Um, and what he needed was to get, you know, he played at home, as we said, he nicked a goal at the end, um, and you can fairly say he edged that. <laughs> 
um, uh, by the end of it. Uh, Boris Johnson's bravura summing up, which uh, we'll be hearing those lines again, I'm sure, so we don't need to focus too closely on them because um, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll... Yeah, if he thinks that works, uh, you know, tune in again next week. Um, yes. But it was a curiously sort of bravura response, uh, having just apologised uh, in the House of Commons. Presumably a slight attempt to try and divert his own MP's uh, attention from the fact he'd just been uh, sort of cornered into making an apology. Uh, jabber, we jab, uh, they jabber, we jab, we, they d- dither, we deliver, they vacillate, we vaccinate. Where, where, have, well, he's nicking that one back, because yes. the last time that was last rolled week, out, Starmer was, nicked Starmer it, and it used it Where will it around. go next? Any ideas uh, for uh, 87212? Start your message with the word times. Let us know in the uh, in the usual way. Do you think that uh, next week we've got the the Batley and Spen by election, um, which we were just talking about? Um, there seems to be we've gone from sort of you know it's a safe Labour seat, uh, the former seat of uh, Joe Cox. Uh, it's you know Labour can't possibly lose it. So now everyone is assuming that Labour will lose it. Is that now just priced in? Does that cause a real headache for Keir Starmer? Three three by elections this year, three losses. I think it would. I think were Labour to lose it, and most people I'm speaking to expect them to. Um, I think that you know is an embarrassment and does cause him more problems. I mean, you know, his problems are, are pretty obvious. Um, you know, he chucks the kitchen sink at the PM each week, and it doesn't seem to be having a great impact uh, either on the Conservative Party's polling or on uh, Boris Johnson's. Um, and you know, if you look at the wider picture. You know, you've got a football tournament going on, the weather's getting better and um, people are feeling reasonably good about um, vaccinations and the prospect, you know, whisper it quietly that they might even get a holiday. Um, and uh, it's not great terrain for uh, for the Labour Party until the autumn when, uh, as we wrote at the weekend, there's quite a lot of um, spending pledges that will come home to roost. And, you know, uh, once furlough starts lifting and jobs start being lost and... There appears to be a big row about how all this is paid for. Um, then, you know, Starmer will have a, a, an opportunity in the autumn to try and make some headway. I think what he needs to do is to make sure he's got the best possible team in place to capitalise on that when it happens. Um, you know, he's perfectly good. We've seen him, you know, have good outings at PMQs, and we've seen him, um, uh, do you know, mount a credible challenge to some of what the government's doing. What what he has not yet come up with is a, a big idea, some good sound bites and something that cuts through and, you know, we've seen flashes of him being a bit more human doing that interview with Piers Morgan, but the public still doesn't really know who he is and what he stands for and he needs some uh, very, very good people around him in order to help project that uh, to the nation at large. And getting people to uh, to take notice. Um, uh, while we've been uh, watching PMQs live from the House of Commons, outside the House of Commons, uh, there's someone making a lot more noise, probably even more so than uh, Keir Starmer. Uh, Richard Vaughan uh, from the High newspaper uh, has just tweeted saying, how? How is blasting Coolio's gangster's paradise across Parliament Square not disturbing the peace? I was there uh, yesterday afternoon. There is some sort of... As was I. Yes. I was trying to make phone calls to senior members of the government with this blaring away in the background. What's it in aid of? I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's a campaign, it's a protest, which is uh, definitely working. Uh, Tim Shipman, please go to the Sunday Times. Thanks very much for joining us. And of course, you can read Tim's fine work in the Sunday Times this weekend. Uh, Johnny Boy's been in touch saying, personally, I think Johnson's apology will do him great credit and help neutralise the issue. Not exactly a victory for Starmer to elicit it, 
I'm sure he'd rather Boris Johnson refuse to apologise. That is possibly true. Um, and uh, on the question of other slogans for Boris Johnson, Stephen has suggested they doze, we dose, which is terrible, uh, but uh, is not doesn't necessarily rule out being used. And someone on the text, somebody on the text says, they do very little, we do Lulu like little. The, the, yeah, Lulu Little was the designer, the designer who that's very good, that's with the eight hundred pound wallpaper, which is falling off the walls in uh, a flat above <laughs> Downing Street. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, ten till one on Times Radio. We bring you the best bits here on the podcast, and if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcast from? Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout. Because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs> 